Father, we ask you, Lord, to just anoint this word. Help me to keep it brief and to the point, Lord, so that, Father, we can deal with the points that we've come to hear today. Father, we understand that you're an eternal God and that you're invisible. So help us, Lord, to breach that area and to see you in that dimension and to know your truths and wisdom that Paul has spoken of. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We began a series last week, uh, The Invisible Enemy versus The Invisible God. And we talked about that Christianity is a practical faith in some other areas last week. And we left off on the point that God is sovereign. And uh, we were discussing how is God sovereign, and yet there are other things that seem to be out of control, or is he not controlling them, which brings us to today's message, or at least a portion of it, because I won't be able to deal with all of it in this short time now. But the question is, if God is sovereign, then why do bad things happen? And uh, how many of you have to say in your life, and maybe even now, you've had doubts and you've had to question, God, why did this happen to me? Or why is it happening? Uh, first and foremost, I want you to know it is not a sin to ask God, why did this happen? Or why is it happening to me? It doesn't mean you've surrendered your faith. It means you're being honest with God. I've found in my own walk with the Lord that just because I think I'm going to keep him from hearing or seeing something that's going on inside of me, I'm really fooling myself. He already knows. I found that what he really appreciates is when I ask him point blank, Lord, I, I, I'm not getting this. I don't understand it. Is it for me to know? Can I know? Can you at least give me a hint of what's going on? And sometimes you get an answer and sometimes you don't. Sometimes that answer that you get is that, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, Paul prayed three times. He says only three. I think it was more than that. But I think it was three times before he got the answer that my grace is sufficient for you, that that there would be a thorn from his flesh removed. And uh, I firmly believe that's spiritual because I experienced that myself. And I've prayed multiple times now, not for years, that God would remove it because I realized that that's a buffeter. And he called it a buffeter. And when God buffets someone who's walking in the Lord, it's not because God wants to punish. It's because he wants there to be a spirit that grows strong and mature to be able to fight and overcome. That's number one. I want to deal with uh, a scripture to kick this off. It comes out of 1 Timothy 1.17, and this is a doxology. This is like a praise. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the invisible God, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Break it down a moment to the king who is eternal, King Jesus. He's immortal, right? He died, he resurrected, he lives forevermore. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's invisible. He's the invisible God. He's not made with man's hands. His image we cannot capture. The closest we know about his image is you. He made you in his image and in his likeness. And even that's a question and a mystery to us, is it not? We discussed in our Bible study at Romans Tuesday night that 
you know, the scientists have come out now. The science, you know, we're, we're now worshiping science. Interestingly enough, some kind of a, a mashad, as we would say, in the, in the Yiddish. Uh, a partnership, an agreement made between American scientists who have received the blessing of his great scientist, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, in regard with the Chinese scientists. Oh, and together they have been able to impart 120-some human cells to breed with monkey cells. And they're rejoicing because three of those cells have lived past 21 days, and it might be just possible to put that cell into the womb of a monkey and try to create what? Hmm. Science. We worship science. And then we wonder why the truth won't come out about what the Chinese government did with COVID. Do you know who the, the most persecuted people are in the world? Really? I mean, we could hit different pox. It's the Chinese people under the Chinese government in China. People, the Chinese church, Christian church is bigger than the church in the United States. And they have to pay a price. They have to go to reindoctrination if they get caught. Their families get abused. They receive lower class citizenships because they're supposed to worship communism and science. And so today I'm going to blow your mind with some science out of Job. And in that, I want you to maybe take some heart and light about how God is still on time. How many of you know God's contemporary? He's not a historical God only. He's not a God that we have to just know about because of what we've seen and read in scriptures. He's a God who's on time and above time and beyond time. Well, you might feel like a modern day Job at times. huh? I know when I first got saved and I was really trying to find my way through the New Testament. The Holy Spirit brought me back to Job, not a place you send somebody who's coming out of a bunch of problems. And uh, I, I had to, to struggle through that and wonder, why do I have to read about Job? Now, I had read about Job in Torah with the prophets, but it didn't disturb me and bother me as much because I hadn't gone through what I went through to come to Jesus. But coming out of that and wanting to come out of that, it was a terrible time. And I commiserated a lot with it. And we understand that Job was considered the greatest man in all of the East, it tells us in Job. He was so great that he had a loving family, seven sons, three daughters, immense wealth. He had a high rank. He was considered the person to go to. He was self-sufficient in all things, and he walked with God, and it says he was just, and God considered him righteous in his faith because with all of the goodies, he had a heart that was charitable. He took care of people. He was kind to his servants. He was just in all things. People would come to him for wisdom, and then all of a sudden, all of his possessions were destroyed. His employees and his servants were killed. 
He was afflicted with painful sores, it says, from head to toe. And it also says that potentially what we understand is that he was probably suffering from leprosy that came upon him and disfigured his body quickly so much that his friends looked upon him and could only say that it had to be that somehow this just man had angered God and that God was punishing him. It was, if you will, a a perplexity that was beyond understanding because Job knew in his heart that he had not sinned against God to deserve that, but yet he had to ask the question and it lingered on. His wife couldn't take it anymore and left him. At that point, at that point, he cried out as she said to him, curse God and die. He cried out and he said, I can only curse the day I was born. Because now he was at a position that it didn't seem there was any way up. But he maintained his faith. And it was his trust in God. Even under the worst of circumstances, even when his friends were giving him the wrong advice. How many of us have a good friend that gives the wrong advice at the wrong time? Sometimes we need to learn from that and maybe our advice should just be kept in our pocket. Maybe we really don't have the right advice for somebody's situation or their problem. How many of you have had a moment where you've had to question, do you have enough faith to sustain? And as you look back on it, you say, it was just a little thread that kept me, a little thread of faith. I had one of those moments. I can't proclaim that It was as bad as Job, but it was pretty bad. I mean, I almost died with it. My organs were shutting down. My body swelled up. The pain was excruciating. You could not touch my flesh from the top of my head to my toes without it being excruciating pain that soared through my body. So much that I even prayed that my nerves would stop working and I would just somehow be numb. My legs were three times their size. I couldn't even put them in a pair of trousers if I wanted to. And it went from a salmonella poisoning to acute salmonella poisoning. And then after that, it was an incurable paralytic arthritis. And then came the diagnosis that nobody ever wants to hear that my wife and I received from a renowned arthritic specialist. He will never walk again. He will always have pain, and all we can do is treat his pain. And that, after I had been waiting to release the word of the glory, my shield in Jerusalem at the International Christian Embassy. My faith was tattered. I have to tell you. And how many times did I question God? Why did this happen to me? What did I do? Whatever it is, Lord, I'll quit doing it. Just give me a chance. And I have to admit to you, I've prayed a couple times, Lord, if this is my fate, take me. Even knowing that at that point I wasn't even sure of my salvation. 
How many of you know when you're really down and out, you're not even sure if you're saved anymore? Of course, I'm the only one that's willing to admit that. How many of you have been so persecuted and gone that that you wonder if you're too far gone? How many of you have questioned, Lord, did I cross the line? Yes, that's where Job was at. But what it was was a little hinter of faith and In my instance, without sharing the whole testimony, my wife had a little bit of faith that she poured into me and she said, I didn't marry a cripple. God's got work for you to do and I've got children to take care of and you're not one of them. (laughs) And she wheeled me out of it right when the diagnosis came. In that wheelchair, she wheeled me right out of the hospital and started praying in the spirit and she said, I don't receive that. And I have to admit to you, I was receiving that. I was at the point where I was ready to say, well, I know how to use drugs. I came out of that. Give them to me. What does it matter? Just make me numb. And little by little, Little by little, not quick, symptoms began to mitigate. The swelling went down a little bit. The pain, I can't tell you. They would ask me, what's your measure of pain? Well, sometimes that's the most stupid thing for someone to ask you. (laughs) As compared to what? A broken leg compared to a splinter? Uh, You know, pain all over your body compared to pain over one part of your body? They'd ask me, what's your pain level? And I said, "Uh, too much. But it began to diminish some. And I actually began to get a little bit of sleep. There were moments in the night when I could actually stay asleep for 15 minutes without waking up with eruption of pain. And then one day I decided I was going to go back to my office and I drove there. And I never realized how bumpy a car can be. Every little bump jolted me in pain. I remember pulling off to the side of the road because I couldn't take the pain anymore and waited, just waited for a while before I took the ride back to the east side of Youngstown to my plant. I crawled up the steps, four steps. They seemed like it was climbing up to the Empire State Building. And I crawled up those steps and crawled into my office and sat in my chair and I put my legs up on a, on a box, and then I got interrupted. I just wanted to, to just be there and sort of commiserate with how hard it was to get there and was already wondering, how am I going to get back? Now I have to go through this again to get home. I don't even think I want to go home. My secretary, her name was Sandy, came into my office. Didn't ask to come in, nothing. Didn't ask me how I was doing, nothing. Got right into my face. I mean, literally into my face about six inches away. And she said, boss, I need to talk to you right now. Well, what would be your assumption if somebody does that? I mean, it's about probably she needs something, right? So I was agitated. It's like, not right now, Sandy. Don't you see? No, no, no. I need right now. Go ahead. She begins to weep and cry, falls backwards. She said, I was praying for you last night. 
I was begging God to heal you. Because I don't know what to tell people that are calling and asking why you're canceling all of your revivals around the world. Why you're not showing up. I don't know what to tell them. So I asked God. And she said, I, I don't know what happened. It was like it was real, but it wasn't real. And all of a sudden, the door to my apartment opened and there was a man there. And his eyes had fire in him. And he said to me, I've heard your prayers. Tell my son, I afflicted him. That he might have more compassion. And I will heal him. Boy, did it break me down. She walked out like this. Her one leg was six inches shorter than the other. And I said to myself, I never prayed once for her leg. Not once. I wept. I repented. I literally opened my shirt up. I said, Lord, cut that heart out. Give me a new one. Give me a new one. I need a new heart. I don't care if I ever walk again. I need a new heart. Made my way back home that day. I wasn't asking anything else for myself anymore except for the new heart. Took a few days, and the Lord answered me. Son? Oh, when I heard that word, son, I hadn't heard it from the beginning of that onslaught. There was no intimacy with me and God. I can sort of understand Job. He was missing the intimacy with his father. When he said, son, it was like, oh, we're still there. He said, I'm going to give you a pastor's heart. You've been operating without a pastor's heart. That's why I understand when the Lord says, many will come before me. Lord, I healed in your name. I healed tens of thousands of people around the world. One service alone in Mexico City. How many, Laura Lee? 10,000? 200 with AIDS. People out of chairs, walking, moving. I've held people in my hands dying with AIDS that have been healed. I've seen the blind's eyes open. I've seen organs recreate. But something was missing. The C word. Compassion. It was all about ministry. But you see, Jesus is all about the sheep. All of the rest of it is dressing. That's why many people tell me, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. 
And I've had the opportunity to rub shoulders with some. You know what I look for? That. That. And when God cut that heart out and gave me a pastor's heart, that was the beginning, that wasn't the end. I had to learn a lot of stuff in my spirit. I had to deal with a lot of issues that were mine. And I'm still doing it. And he's helping me. But the one thing that I preach the most of and I hold on to is grace. 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 I can't get enough grace and I can't give enough grace. If you really want to judge and measure somebody's heart for ministry, see how they deal with grace. A little caution to you. You want to go out and you want to do stuff? Make sure this is right. And make sure that you're practicing grace. And do it with the least of the least. The most of the most can buy grace. Huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, people with money, they'll send a plane to get you. They'll set a banquet for you. They'll give you a new suit. Uh-huh. New watch. Been there. They'll tell you all the things they can do for you. Some shepherds fall for that. Mm-hmm. They become their instant prophet. I sort of shut all those doors. I have a favorite saying when someone tries to do that with me. I said, I'm not a vending machine prophet. You get what you get when you get it. And maybe you don't get it at all. I don't know. So this with Job, as I close up, this is going to blow your mind. I had so much. I didn't even intend to do that. This is, this is interesting. So Job, he goes through all of these passionate pleadings with God and these protests and you know, he implied that God left him in the darkness and with pain, and he was crying out for help, and yet he knew he was standing up as an innocent man in a courtroom of friends that were falsely accusing him of all kind of things and telling him, if you do this, maybe God will do this. And can you imagine the hypocrisy of their words? As Jesus once pointed out, don't look for the splendor in your friend's eye when you've got a lumber in your own. So, in essence, Joe was crying out, God, where are you? Why, oh God, do people suffer? But you know, the interesting thing is God didn't answer the question directly. Now, through Paul, we get a lot of understanding about suffering, and through Christ and the Gospels, we do. And we understand about the fellowship of sufferings, and we understand that God never promised us, anybody, that this life would be simple and easy. He promised that he would go through it with us if we take him out of the back seat and put him in the front in every situation. The biggest danger of blessings and victories 
is that we stay in that moment and then we forget the need for God. We so quickly relish where we've gotten to and we're not as hungry and thirsty and passionate anymore. So whom God expects a lot of, he puts a lot on. Mm-hmm. You want to walk in giant shoes and you better be willing to fight giants. And not just once, not just twice, they're around every corner. You see, we, in the spiritual realm, we give off a light. And that light grows brighter and it grows dimmer. And in the spiritual realm, the angels, the demons, the principalities, the devil himself, and of course our Lord, the God of light, they know how to measure the brightness of your spirit. They can say, on fire. Or they could say, the fire's about to go out. They can say that he, she is practicing sin, so there's a strange fire coming out of them. And God doesn't like a strange fire in the altar. Or they can look and see This person's walking in obedience and the fire stays at the same temperature and light. Jesus, he told us about it in the church of Laodicea. I believe that's what's cutting through the earth right now, either hot, lukewarm, or cold. God doesn't like lukewarm. He says, if you're going to sin, then do it all the way and be cold. Don't dare use my name. Or if you're going to be hot, then don't sin. Let's go. Be on fire. But it requires obedience. And it requires consistency. I can tell you, my wife and I, we we have private discussions. And she says, have you seen so-and-so? I said, no, the last time I saw him, I prayed for him. God bless him. I haven't seen him since. Then the phone might ring two years later. Hey! And I already know what they want. Consistency. Consistency. I fight for consistency. Consistency doesn't come natural or easy. You have to fight the good fight. You have to make a determination in whatever you're doing. I am not going to cross that line. And if I do, Lord, snatch me back as fast as you can. It's called the fear of the Lord. And that's what's missing in so much ministry today is the fear of God. So like Job, we cry out. But God didn't answer his questions about why. Here's what God said to him. He reminded Job that Job knew nothing in a nice, polite way. So while Job's asking God why, God says this, to him. The Lord cries out to Job and he says in Job 38 through 40, read the chapters. He said, where were you when I created the earth, Job? Do you really know my mind? Do you really think you're wise? Basically what God was saying was in a nice way, who are you to ask me why. But he did it politely. 
And then he does this. He tells Job that he wasn't present when God laid the foundations of the earth. He told him that he didn't understand the tides of the sea. He asked him about the instincts and habits of various birds and animals and even of the great monsters of the sea. He asked Job if he could explain the wisdom and power that was represented in these marvels of creation. And finally, Job couldn't take it anymore, and he cries out. These are his words in Job 40, verses 4 and 5. He says, I'm vile. What can I say to you? I can't answer you. I lay my hand over my mouth. As you would say in Italian, shut your mouth. And he cries out. The Lord replied to Job, gird your loins up like a man. The Lord only told me that one time. And that's when I wanted to die because the sacrifices weren't working. And that's when he led me to Jesus. Gird yourself up like a man. You know, there's, and women, you get it, because we're the same species. It's species man. Two genders, only two genders, male and female, only two genders, male and female. Gird yourself up like a man and I will ask and you will inform me, would you impugn my justice? Would you condemn me that you might be right? Have you have an arm like God? And then he asked him these three questions found in Job 38, 31, and 32. These are going to blow your mind. How many of you have ever read that before? Job 38, 31, 32. I'm going to wait till he has it up. Can you bind the cluster and one of the other words translates sweet influence of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you guide Arcturus with his sons? What? How many of you know what that means? Be honest. Nobody. Job didn't have a clue what God was saying to him. But you know what? It took till the 20th century for us to understand that wisdom of God. Science. Science thinks it's going to reveal God. God reveals science. Einstein just didn't wake up and get the theory of relativity. God imparted it to him and it opened up all of science. Penicillin just didn't get discovered because somebody all of a sudden figured it out. It was a miracle drug that God gave to heal what we now consider some of the most simple things that was killing people. Well, look what this is. Let me give it to you quickly. It's going to blow your mind. Let's talk about Orion. Can you loose the bands of Orion? Well, there's a, an astronomer. His name's Garrett Service. Let me give credit where it belongs. And he has a book that he wrote called The Curiosities of the Sky. I'm nuts. I read a lot of books. And he wrote about the bands of Orion. And one of the things he said, quote, at the present time, this band consists of an almost perfect straight line, a row of second magnitude stars about equally spaced and strikingly beauty. However, 
In the course of time, two of the stars, Mintaka and Alnilam, will approach each other, and by the naked eye, they will look the same. But Alnitic will drift away, so the band will no longer exist. In other words, one star is traveling in a certain direction at a certain speed, a second one in a different direction at another speed, and the third one is going in a third direction at still another speed, but actually every star in Orion is traveling its own course independent of the others, but they look like a band and they will be loosed. Science says that in time they will go in their separate directions and Orion in the sky will be no more. He asked Job, can you loose the bands of Orion? Job didn't even know what Orion was. He didn't even understand loosing the bands of Orion. And yet the Lord says to those who know him and walk with him in Christ, loosen what you shall here on earth and it shall be done in heaven. Bind what you shall. Do you realize the power God has given us as we walk in authority with him? That's just one of them. How about this one? The Pleiades. Can you bind the sweet influence, the cluster of the Pleiades? Now, there's seven stars in the Pleiades, but they're actually a grouping of 250 suns. And these suns are in a group, and they're all traveling together in one direction. Don't see that anywhere else. And they're all traveling in one direction in a cluster. And they actually have given names now to all 250 of these stars in Pleiades. And they have a common motion. They're going through space in the same direction. And they're going to continue going on in that way in a southeasterly direction. And they're compared to a swarm of birds flying to a distant goal. All bound together going to that goal, doing exactly what God said to Job. Can you bind them together, Pleiades? Hmm? Took the 20th century for us to understand what God was saying. How magnificent, how wondrous, how omnipotent, how God is in control of everything. He's put everything in motion. And he's basically saying, I'm the one holding those stars together. They can't move because I've sent them. We could ask, Lord, what's your purpose? And the Lord will say, maybe just for me to tell Job, so I tell you. I don't know. I know this one thing. God will discharge stars and things in the sky for his people. I remember once crying out to the Lord that I needed a sign, and I was just so weak in my Christianity just barely saved and I just wanted a sign that I was going to get by another day and before I could say it a shooting star went across the sky in the darkness of Dayton, Ohio and I doubted it right away because of science. I knew a little bit about shooting stars and thought well how impossible that just happened that was just by chance and before I could say it again another one went across the same place. And I stood in awe of the Creator and realized that God is in control. And now Arcturus. Can you guide Arcturus with his sons? 
Well, the same astronomer wrote that it's one of the greatest suns in the universe. Listen to this. It has a run, runaway whose speed of flight is 257 miles per second. Now, compare that to our sun, which travels at 12 and a half miles a second. That's a big sun, and it's moving fast. And it could turn into a new course if it approached another sun, or it could hit something head-on by collision to turn it and move it, but God says, no, I'm keeping it on that course. And science says, it looks like this high velocity, and as big as this sun is, nothing's ever going to stop it. God says to Job, could you stop it? Could you make that happen? Arcturus and his son. So what's the lesson? Well, I pray that few have had to suffer like Job has. None if we could have it our way. But in these questions, this is what God says. You think I'm not concerned about your suffering, but I am. You saw, and I tell you now, what I've done in the universe, and I control it. And God answers this way. You ask for details, but I say to you, ask about me. I so love you that I gave you my only son. And he took all of that. He took all that pain, all that suffering. And it doesn't mean that we may not have pain, and it does not mean we will not suffer. But here's the promise. Eternal life, a place of peace, no pain, promise, joy. And because he suffered as we do, because he was tempted as we are, <laughs> here comes the C word. Paul said he has compassion for us. He has the heart for us. Because he took out the spiritual heart and put in the heart of flesh. And then he took the heart of flesh and he changed it into the heart of God. We too can have that heart. Jesus is walking through it with us, my sister, my brother. He's right there with us. He says, come unto me if you're heavy burdened, because I know you will be, and I'll help you find rest. It's impossible to science but it's impossible not to happen if we're walking with him. I've told you this before and I'm ending with this. I came from a military family that as children, both of my parents were sent away during the depression their families couldn't keep them. So we didn't really experience intimacy as a family because they didn't know intimacy as a family. They knew survival. And they understood that part of that survival was to provide, to work hard, two jobs, three jobs, to save, to, to get their kids to college, 
to sacrifice whatever it took to just make it through for the next generation. It took me a while under the patience of my wife to understand intimacy for children. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I just thought you work. You provide. But the most intimate moment that I had with my father was when he was laid up in the bed, couldn't move, two years in that state, couldn't talk. The nurse practitioner came in the morning like she always does, lightening up his room, cleaning him up, always talking to him, never expecting to hear a word back. Colonel, how are you doing today? Nothing. Well, Colonel, what are you doing today? I'm counting my blessings murmured out of his mouth that was speechless. I'm counting my blessings. Hmm. He had every reason to curse God. He had every reason to grumble and complain. But he gave me the best gift the father could give to a son how to praise God in suffering. Shortly thereafter, he went home. And that didn't just impact me. That went through the whole nursing home. They were talking about it everywhere. The miracle of counting the blessings. So, beloved, God is sovereign. We're in an evil world. The prince of the air, his name is Satan. He has an evil kingdom. He has power. He has authority here on earth. But all power and authority is given to us in the name of Jesus. But we must overcome. We must fight the good faith. That he has given us a promise that goes beyond everything. We might lose this life, but we will not lose eternal life. I preached it once with Brian and Sherry here, that we have a safety net. We might lose our life, but we have a safety net. We live eternal. And we pass on from here to there. And in that place, he gives us a glimpse. He wipes away all tears. He puts his hand upon us. He compliments us. Well done. He takes away all the pain, all the hurt. Bodies that crawl into heaven, decrepit and hurting and painful, missing limbs, whatever, are made whole. And we know him when we see him because we're just like him then. I don't know about you but I won't trade that promise for anything here on earth. Give the Lord a hand. He's worthy.
Thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord God. We love you, Lord. And as Paul said in Romans 11, right, 33, he says, Oh, the ways of God, they're unsearchable. Who can know his mind? Who could understand his wisdom? Magnificent in all things. And as we started out with the doxology from Timothy, the invisible God, the magnificent God, the King, Jesus Christ. Father, seal this word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you tolerate us when we doubt. Thank you, Father, that you cover us and that you increase our faith. Thank you, Lord, that no matter in what situation we are, that we have a certain sure faith because of you, that we shall, we shall emerge from the darkness more. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken all of the pain and suffering for us, but Lord, teach us how to rest it upon you like you've promised us, not just in a flighting moment, but in a lifetime. Let it become our character, our personality. Let it become our mantra, Lord. Let it be. Let it be, Father, that which we rest upon at all times. Holy Spirit, continue to invade us. Thank you that you're gentle with us. Sometimes, Holy Spirit, maybe you need to be a little more firm with us. You tell us. You do it your way. Don't let us slip. Hold us fast. Keep us. Jesus, you be glorified. Father, we love you. We love you as much as we can. In Jesus' name, amen.